My excitement this morning is, um, is twofold. First off, it's good to be back together. Um, there's, a, there's a truth to the fact that we are united as the body of Christ together. That in that unity, there's, there's the actual family. And it's beautiful. And um, hopefully you guys know that that we believe that's true and we love you very much. So it's good to be gathered back together this morning. I'm also excited just about where we are in the text. What we're going to see this morning is that this is the, the crucial portion of all of Scripture. Today we're in the, the middle of the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Mark. If you've been following along, if you've been here the last couple of weeks, you know that this is actually um, the considered the passion of Christ, that, that in this moment he is enduring this great suffering. And so he's suffering and he's going to the cross. So I hope this, that this morning you'll keep those Bibles in front of you. You'll look at them often, we'll, you'll see where we're pulling these things from, but, but they will pay a lot of attention because what we have here is the gospel the actual gospel work of Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, that he died a brutal death, that he rose again. That's the gospel. Like we, we make the gospel a lot of other things. We think, sometimes we talk about living out the gospel, but really there's only one who has lived out the gospel, and that is Jesus. He did the gospel work, the good news work that you and I needed. And so this morning we're looking at that. Hope that you see it this morning. I want to begin with this idea of, um, a, of a particular term. Have you ever heard or ever used the term, the crux of the matter? Maybe you've heard that term, um, but, but the crux of the matter is something that you would say if you're trying to get to the, the, the point of the main idea of something. What is, what is the big idea? What's the main purpose or the um, certain topic or situation? What's the point of it? Well, the Free Dictionary, which sounds like a very credible online source, says that the crux of the matter is an idiom or a saying that means this, the most important, central, or fundamental essence or elements of an issue, problem, or matter at hand. Crux of the matter. The term is often used interchangeably with the heart of the matter. Like, what, what is the central thing? And so today, my argument is that we're looking at the crux of the matter. We're looking at the most pivotal moment in all of human history. And you might say, Joel, that sounds like a little bit of an exaggeration, a little bit of hyperbole. Like, there's a lot of history. Well, according to Scripture, this is the central moment of all existence. We can go all the way back to the very beginning. We go to Genesis 3 and in the Garden of Eden, and most of you probably know the story, but if you don't, God created the heavens and the earth, according to scripture, and, and as he's done creating uh, the plants and the earth and the animals, he creates man and he creates man in his image, man and woman, but that man and woman, they weren't satisfied, they, they, they fell into sin, and so there's this great fall. Those who were made to rule with God said, on my own, I can live. I don't need you. And rebelled against God. And in that moment, 
God himself points to the beauty of the cross. Genesis 3, verse 15. Remember, Satan had come in the form of a serpent and tempted uh, Eve and Adam, and they sinned. And God makes a promise, and he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the snake, and between your offspring and her offspring. And here's the promise. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Very beginning. Like... All of creation begins and then points immediately to the cross. Where Jesus is going to achieve the victory over Satan, over sin, over death. He's going to crush him. But his heel is going to be bruised in the process. He's going to suffer and he's going to die. So that's the very beginning of the story. Pointing to the crux of the matter. But what if we go to the end of the story? Well, we go to the end of the story and we look at in Revelation. And in, in the book of Revelation, which is Jesus's revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ to John, who's writing all these things down that he's seeing, what is he seeing? He's seeing this king that comes to reign. And everybody, everywhere, is praising his name. Revelation 5, 9 through 12 says this, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Finishes in verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. You see, even at the very end, they're going to point back to this moment, the crux of the matter, where Jesus goes to the cross and the Lamb is slain. Why is he worthy? Because he was the lamb who was slain. So many other things that, that we get to see and that we get to see the, the character and aspect of our God. And yet, when they, when they point to Jesus and they say, what it is that, that he did that is so amazing, it's that he went to the cross and he is the lamb that was slain for us. So this morning, my argument is that we, in this passage, are looking at the most important thing The central, most important, fundamental essence or elements of not just an issue or a problem, but of all of reality. We see Jesus going to the cross. The crux, Latin for cross, is the most important moment of all matter, time, space, reality, everything. Today we see Jesus executing the gospel plan, serving as the promised ransom for many. So I pray that the Lord would open our eyes and that we would see that. God, we thank you. Lord, we, we have words in front of us. We have a story that's being told, and yet we also have hard hearts. And so, God, we would ask that you would do the work this morning that only you can do. That you would soften hearts. That you would open eyes. That you would give us ears to hear. God, and that as we see Jesus suffering, Lord, that we would believe that it's not just some ethereal big picture thing, but it was, it was purposeful. That Jesus bled and died for people, yes, but he also bled and died for me. God, I know that there's people in here this morning that need to hear that.
And so I pray that you would speak it. Lord, and that as we see and behold Jesus, that our lives would be changed. That we would be compelled to follow you, to take up our cross, to follow you. Because we just want to be with you. And we've seen the way that you walk and the way that you lived and the way that you died. So Lord, would you do that miraculous work in us today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. This morning I just want us to see Jesus. Jesus the Christ who suffered to the utmost. And and I'm not going to lie, it's a little gruesome. There's some things there that you're like, man, that's, that's harsh. That's a harsh reality. But I want us to see Jesus the Christ as, as he suffers to the utmost, not shying away from the pain or torment in order to take the full wrath of God for sin. On whose behalf? On our behalf. Sinners like you and I who come to the cross and say, hey, at the cross, Jesus paid for my sin. And he paid a gruesome price. I want us to see that he also calls us to follow him on this road of suffering. So this morning, we're going to look at the fullness of Jesus' suffering. We're going to look at this invitation that he has for us to follow. And then we're going to pray that we would see and believe. The fullness of his suffering. We begin in verse 16. It says, And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together a whole battalion. A whole battalion is a lot of people. A a lot of soldiers who, for their living, they work out. Um, They get really strong and buff because they have to be stronger than the other guy. And so this whole battalion is being called forward. And what we're going to see is that this battalion beats Jesus They clothed them in a purple cloak and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. The fullness of Jesus' suffering is not just a physical suffering. It's an emotional suffering. It's a humiliation The fullness of what Jesus went through as the Son of God who lays down every right He has as the Son of God and enters into mankind for us is is a great suffering. And yet you and I often treat our sin like it's no big deal and we just come up with coined phrases like, well, it's under the blood or, um, yeah, but Jesus died for me. Yeah, He did. He absolutely did. If we are in Christ, He has purchased us by His blood. But we need to know what it costs because we don't want to cheapen that grace. Because cheap grace would just allow us to continue to live like we're doing. Cheap grace allows our lives to continue to sin around us, but a costly grace, a costly grace now says that if Jesus died, then He's inviting me to come and die. And now my life can no longer revolve around who I am. And that's, that's what we're saying. This is the gospel. 
Not that we get to be happy and comfortable and content, but that we get to know Jesus in both His suffering and in His glory. And we get to follow Him both in His suffering and in His glory. So we don't want to minimize Jesus' suffering. The physical pain. Look at it. They beat Him mercilessly. It's a whole battalion of soldiers. It says they beat Him with reeds. So they didn't just use their hands, but they used some sort of tool. Not enough that many people would hit Him. But now they include different tools and reeds. According to John 19.1, it says that they flogged Him and whipped Him. And I'm I'm not going to get into all the gruesome detail, but if you want to look at that, it, it's horrific. A flogging of any type is horrific, and they beat Jesus. But it wasn't for their purposes. Like, Jesus knew this was coming, and He, has, he, he knew it. He told His disciples about it. And now he's walking in obedience. He even cried out, God, if there's another way. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane where in his anguish he's crying and sweats. Drops of blood are being sweat. Like we don't even have, we can't even fathom that. But that's the anguish that Jesus was in. And he says, Lord, if the, Father, if there's another way. <coughs> but this is the way that God has ordained. And so Jesus, the obedient son, is walking in it. This is a fulfillment of the promise in Mark 10, 33-34. Jesus speaking to His disciples. He says, See, we're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes. And they will condemn Him to death and deliver Him over to the Gentiles. And they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. And after three days He will rise. That's crazy. Because it's exactly what happened. Like, he was turned over to his own people first. And they, they mocked him. And they conjured up ways and, and reasons to convict him. And they couldn't even get their story straight. But finally they had enough proof that they then turned him over to the Gentiles and over to Pilate. Which is what Jesus says. He says, deliver over to the chief priests and scribes. <coughs> and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles. And so last week, Chris talked about being before Pilate. All of this is playing out just like Jesus said. He is the Son of God. He is the one who not only knows and submits to the plan, but according to Scripture, He came up with the plan with the Father. It says that finally they will mock Him and spit on Him and flog Him and kill Him. Looking at Jesus being mocked, in verse 17 it says they put a crown of thorns on him. And they began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. And if you've ever been mocked, like some of us can withstand some, some physical pain, but, but when we're mocked or when we're humiliated or when we're made fun of, it just breaks our hearts. And it, it should, like it's It's awful. And that's what's happening to Jesus. He is suffering this incredible physical pain, but also this humiliating and excruciatingly painful emotional pain. As far as the physical pain, it says towards the end that they put him on the cross and they crucified him. 
in verse 25, and it was the third hour when they crucified him. And they don't get too far into that. Mark's kind of this very succinct, very poignant guy, and he records and he just says, listen, they crucified him. But Kent Hughes, in his Preaching the Word commentary, he talks about <coughs> excuse me, this issue in the Journal of American Medical Association that talked about the crucifixion and the amount of pain and torture that the body goes through in this. And I've got the quote in the notes, and if you want to read that, it's pretty powerful. I'm not going to get into it this morning, but C.S. Lewis quoted 30 years before that, and he said, listen, he talks about this crucifixion, the description of the crucifixion. He says this, he creates the universe already foreseeing, talking about God, or should we say seeing, there are no tenses in God, the buzzing cloud of flies about the cross, the flayed back pressed against the uneven stake, the nails driven through the medial nerves, the repeated incipient suffocation as the body droops, the repeated torture of back and arms as it is time after time for breath's sake hitched up. He says this, if I may dare the biological image, God is a host who deliberately creates his own parasites, causes us to be that we may exploit and take advantage of him. Herein is love. This is the diagram of love himself, the inventor of all loves. Lewis is saying, listen, Jesus goes through this incredible, excruciating torment for your sake and for my sake. He suffers once so fully and so completely so that you and I would never have to suffer for our own sin. This is love. Jesus enduring this emotional pain even as he loves the ones who are spitting on him. The ones who are mocking him and calling him to prophesy. Listen, they were hitting him and then they were saying, who hit you? Because he was to such a degree that he didn't know what was going on around him. They didn't really believe he was a prophet. They're still in their mockery of him. And finally, they put a sign up saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Listen, Philippians 2 is this beautiful, succinct gospel message. Philippians 2, 4 through 8 says this, Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and he's reminding them of, of Jesus' obedience. Jesus, who was God, who was seated with the Father, left that place of, of glory and honor and came and humbled himself, and became a man. And that's pretty humiliating for God to become a man, but now he's also the king, and they're mocking him. They're making fun of him. The humiliation is so great. But being found in human form, he humbled himself. At any moment, he could have said, listen, it's done. I'm not, not going to take anymore. But he's taking all of the pain, 
all the torture, all of the torment for you and for me. Even death on a cross. Death on a cross was considered the most heinous death you could suffer, also the most humiliating death you could suffer. Many wouldn't even talk about it because it was so horrific. I want you to look at verse 23 with me real fast because here we see what Jesus is doing. We're going to come back to Simon of Cyrene, but in verse 23 it says, And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. This wine mixed with myrrh would have dulled the senses. It would have lessened the pain. It would have made it more bearable. And yet Jesus declined to take the cup from those who would offer it. Why would he do that? Why wouldn't he just lessen the pain? Well, the author of Hebrews helps us. He says that Jesus is is mediating for you and for me. He's bearing more pain and more torture than any of us can imagine because now we have a great high priest who suffered in our place. So today, if we suffer, we we have a, a, a God who knows what suffering is. To the point where he drank it to the dregs. He, he went all the way to the cross, holding nothing back, taking nothing for the pain, but endured every bit of it. Hebrews 2, 9 and 10 says this, But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. The author goes on in Hebrews 4, 14 and 16. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. He's endured, he's been tempted, he's been tried in every way that you and I would be, and yet he is without sin. That's key. It's key. Because it means that if his death is in my place, then his death is actually perfect obedience. His death is righteousness. And so... We rest and we trust that we have a Savior who has endured everything, any temptation, any pain that we could endure. He's done it without sin. That's the suffering of Jesus. I love that in the midst of Jesus coming, and he's got the the big plan in sight. Like he knows, hey, this, this is the purpose of all things. This is the crux of the matter. But even as he sees this big plan, he does not miss the people. I want us to see this morning that while Jesus is intent on dying for a people, he does not miss seeing the people he is dying for. I'll say that again. While Jesus is intent on dying for a people, he does not miss seeing the people that he's dying for. Like, that's beautiful. If there was ever a moment where Jesus should just be self-centered and trying to to meet the goal, it's now. And yet in this moment, he's seeing people. Go back to verse 21. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. 
And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Simon of Cyrene. The initial invite to Simon of Cyrene was not from Jesus to come and carry his cross. The invite was from the Romans who made him go and carry the cross because Jesus was so broken he was having a hard time carrying his own cross. And so Simon comes and he carries the cross. But while the initial invitation was from the Romans, at some point there's there's a heart change that takes place and the Holy Spirit gets a hold of his heart and we have this evidence of it because many New Testament Historians connect his sons to the church. Why else would Mark say in verse 21, the father of Alexander and Rufus? Remember, Mark is writing to the church in Rome. And so in Romans, which is Paul's letter to the church in Rome, he writes this in verse 16, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. It seems like there's evidence that at some point the invitation that was not even an invitation but it was a command by the Romans to carry the cross then becomes this heartfelt desire that Simon has and that he passes down to his family to follow Jesus. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother who has been a mother to me as well. This idea, this invitation to follow It's something that Jesus has reiterated many times. But one of the clearest ones is in Mark Mark 8, 34 through 38. He calls a crowd to him with his disciples and he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus' invitation has always been to the disciples. Follow me. He never promises them comfort or ease. He actually says that it's going to look like dying. But they get to be with him. Simon of Cyrene got to be with Jesus for a little while on the road. He got to see him and meet him. There's another person in this passage. And again, Mark, he's just moving right through. But he says that he's crucified next to two robbers. Thankfully, Luke gives us a little more detail, so if you want to turn over to Luke 23, Luke 23, verses 39 through 43, we have the record of the the robbers that are there with him on the cross in Luke's account of the crucifixion. Verse 39 of Luke 23 says this, One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. (coughs) And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
We have these men on the cross who according to the one one's own confession deserve to be there. They deserve to die. Mark says that in verse 27, and with him they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. And so we have these robbers who are blaspheming Jesus. They're, they're making the same accusations that everyone else is making. If you are the Son of God, then save yourself. Come down. But one of them it turns into a believer. One of them sees something about Jesus that, that you and I know is the Holy Spirit softening a heart. But he makes a confession that this man didn't deserve this death. He doesn't deserve this death. And so he cries out that Jesus would remember him. And Jesus says that today you will be with me in paradise. This idea of today, like in that moment, as we talk about the crux of the matter, what's taking place right now? Well, when Jesus dies, this death, he is defeating sin. He is the lamb, the suffering servant who would go and make a payment that you and I could not make for ourselves to make us righteous before a holy God. And if that's true, then sin has lost any dominion over our hearts. Even as we see our own sin, we see our own failures we are forgiven in Jesus. Jesus took all of the, the wrath of God, the pain, the torment, the anguish, the humiliation. He suffered that in our place. And so Jesus says to, to the thief on the cross, today you will be in me in paradise. Because today, in that moment, is the day where Jesus is establishing and, and planting the cross where his kingdom reigns. The cross is planted into the ground and the ripples flow out of it, both backwards in time and forwards in time. Like this is the this is the moment that you and I are saved if we are in Christ. This is the moment where Abraham, who by faith was was being obedient, he saved when Jesus dies. This is the gospel work. Everything before pointed to it and everything after has pointed back to it. The kingdom of God emanates from the cross. Listen, Jesus, his first words in Mark were, Behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Like he's saying, It's coming. I'm here and I'm going to establish it. And how is he doing it? He's establishing it through the cross. It's established in this moment. Jesus has all of eternity in mind, but he also has individual people in mind. He sees the thief on the cross. And in compassion and grace and love, he says today, you're going to be with me in paradise. We have record of Simon's house being part of the church. Jesus doesn't get so lost 
like you and I would in the grand scheme of things that he misses the individual people. And that's beautiful because that means that today he sees each of you individually. He knows you. He knows me. And he's met my personal need of a Savior. And so I pray that today we would believe that. Which leads us to the final call that we have. The final call is to see and believe. In Mark, verse 29, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. Verse 32, Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. What the evil ones, and by evil ones I mean sinners like you and I, are doing in their mockery. They're mocking Jesus. They're saying, listen, if you are so powerful and if what all Scripture says is true, then you should be able to save yourself. Come down off the tree and then we'll see and we'll believe. Come off that tree. But what we have is the promise from Mark 10.34 that says that after three days he will rise again. And while Jesus doesn't come down off the tree in that moment, he does come down off the tree. He rises up in the resurrection power that He exhibits in His resurrection and in His life means that sin and death are defeated in this moment on the cross. And so today's invitation is to you and I that we would see and believe. Like, He came down off the cross. He's resurrected. Do we see Him and do we believe? And is that influencing our life in such a way that now my life is not my own? Now I'm going to go and I'm going to go where you send me, Jesus. I'm going to love who you tell me that I should love. I'm going to lay down my wants and my desires for your wants and your desires. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. And he did. Amen? Amen. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we long to be a people whose lives would be so transformed and changed by the reality of the cross and the reality of Jesus and His love for us that we would devote everything to loving Him with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. God, I pray that today that, that people like me who have made little of sin would instead of, of trying to minimize it, acknowledge it for what it is and say that it needed a payment and that we would remember that Jesus has paid God, would you do this deep work in us? I pray that um, even as we spend time later this week going back and looking at the passage and seeing the brutality and the, the, the punishment that Jesus took on our behalf, Lord, that it would lead us to a great love, a great devotion, 
That we would be like the elders in Revelation 5 that say, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive honor and glory and power forever. And it wouldn't just be words, Lord, but it would be all of our lives would be dedicated to that purpose. Lord, so that others would see and believe. That they would see and believe that the King of the Jews, that the King of Israel has come down off the cross, that He has risen in power. And that He has purchased a people for Himself for His glory. Help us to believe that. Help us to proclaim that. Help us to walk in that today, Lord. We pray all this in Your name. Amen.